Welcome to Learning to Fly, an Inspire Group podcast. Join our CEOs, Aidan Stote, Stu Neighbor, and Ulrika Brunner as they discuss learning, leadership, change, and more. Inspire Group, because better learning is life-changing. Kia ora, and welcome to Learning to Fly, the Inspire Group podcast. I'm Aidan Stote, and I'm thrilled to be joined today by Andre Headstrong. Hi, Andre. Hi, Aidan. How are you? Very well, thank you. Andre brings vision, leadership, and his deep concern for people, community, and the earth to his role as Sweet Rush's Chief Executive Officer. Andre earned his master's degree in counseling psychology, and as a Sweet Rush co-founder, he has worn every hat in the company, from graphic design to overseeing production, yet his sweet spot is building long-term, strong relationships that serve as a foundation for partnership and ongoing success. By fostering a culture of caring and commitment and applying Sweet Rush's expertise within sustainable and socially responsible businesses, Andre drives and shapes the organization's mission and purpose. Welcome, Andre, and a huge thanks for joining us on the Learning to Fly thanks. podcast. Yeah. Um, I wonder if we could start with a bit of an introduction on, on Sweet Rush. Um, sure. So if you could share with me a, a little bit about the work that you do. And what was it that first drew you into this industry and, and this organization? Well, I mean, fundamentally, we are a group that's concerned with the craft of learning, um, you know, living in this day and age, and especially where we came from um, in San Francisco, uh, the emergence of various forms of technology, information technology first, and now um, all the exciting emerging technologies, XR, um, you know, VR, AR, AI, just, you know, the, the explosion of new um, technologies, integrating various disciplines together to see if we can achieve something um, more significant in our craft. Mm -hmm. um, learning is obviously a very ancient craft. Um, um, <clears throat> and uh, getting a chance to modernize it and apply it to a wide variety of context we work with some of the largest organizations on the planet um, most of them household names both in the nonprofit and for-profit space and um, you know we're just a, a, a bunch of people who like to nerd out on learning and seeing if it can do something good um, in the world around us so it's been an exciting journey we've been around 23 years um, we are 100% remote and have been since 2010 um, we started right around 2000. So um, yeah, it's quite a, quite a group. We're spread out all over the world. The majority of us are in North America and Costa Rica. Fantastic. What a, what a great story. And, and I'm really curious about a, a point that you mentioned there around integration, because I know that we've had some conversations yeah. uh, before about the idea of um, learning and development integrating more effectively with with other elements or considerations within yeah. organizations and, and how that can really sort of drive more transformative outcomes and, yeah. and change. Could you share a little bit about where you see the opportunities for integration? Um, you know, it sounds like you've had some real success in that space. And, you know, what do you view as the, the natural um, sort of opportunities for organizations who are looking to bring more of that integrated approach to their their learning work? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I would look both towards technology and various disciplines that are connected to it, um, <clears throat> as well as externally and how different organizations and aspects of society are 
you know, beginning to explore <clears throat> um, using learning as a form of creation or um, strategic initiative. Um, so the, the first part I'd say, you know, a lot of the obvious, you know, AI is obviously, you know, forefront in what we are curious about um, that we can do next. We have a project that um, just went live that is using AI to um, do some coaching around um, how um, uh, folks provide customer service. Um, so, you know, beginning to try through pragmatic um, lenses, you know, what this technology can do um, better or in addition to, um, as well as to start to use it to teach it um, and teach it how we do our craft. We've had a, um, a, a specific focus on learner-centric design, which means, you know, we, we believe that learning works best when we can really see that individual and understand their interests and passions and preferences and the context in which they are needing to learn new skills or create new potential um, for themselves or their teams. So AI, I think, has exciting implications for that, um, and and we'd like to be involved in um, you know teach, teaching AI uh, about what we've learned and seeing what more we can do with it. <clears throat> um, certainly, um, VR has been a focus of ours for a while. Um, we've been using it in a, a, a variety of industries, um, integrating various uh, biometric uh, feedback um, as well as looking to um, extend that 360 experience into the two-dimensional two space. So, in fact, we have a book coming out um, that's about um, um, web VR. Um, mm -hmm. So being able to create a VR experience and also deal with the fact that a lot of people aren't going to be using that um, those uh, headsets. So, you know, we kind of go where the technology is emerging and where it's being adopted by our client partners and really just try to push it to its fullest advantage um, and, and discern like where best to apply it. So we don't, we're not interested in just kind of like the flash in the plan, pan the latest trend. We're interested in what works for learners and supporting their organization's performance. Um, so it's our job to really ferret out what kind of pieces of technology is relevant for, for those client partners. Um, externally, I think we're, we're very curious to see um, a lot of organizations who are doing a couple of different things. One, applying learning to a more strategic um, set of um, skill sets. So a lot of people, um, business leaders are becoming more savvy about what they can do if they have learning um, uh, and development in their hands at the table while they're planning. Because one of the things that we can do is we can tell people how how people change and how people learn and how much is too much and you know what's the best platform. So we can be a part of not just kind of setting the tempo, but we can also bring interventions as uh, learning and development professionals that other skill sets can't. Um, so, you know, we see that more and more. <clears throat> a lot of the big consulting firms are seeing that as well. Um, the um, other piece we think is fascinating is that organizations that you don't typically associate as delivering learning 
happening are starting to recognize that the education space is a really interesting market. So we are getting clients who might be traditionally a manufacturer looking at what their expertise has, you know, has created in themselves and how can they extend that through educational offerings to others. So that's an exciting aspect, I think, as well, to kind of integrate the, you know, how we're being used into our craft uh, presents some new complexities, some new challenges, some new um, opportunities to express ourselves. I love that. Um, I think there's some really great insights there. And I, I'd be interested to come back to this point around uh, learning within the strategic thinking approach, um, because I, I think that's where certainly in the experiences that we've had partnering with organizations here, um, there's been real impetus and appetite for how learning and development can can shift organizational yeah. culture, can, can really impact um, cultural outcomes, performance outcomes, commercial outcomes, all of those things. Um, I'm interested to, to, to sort of hear from you as to how you play that role with those organizations, you know, how, how much of that sort of comes from that internal impetus and appetite and how much do you um, find yourself in that role of needing to sort of engender some of that thinking or approach um, in order for those organizations to achieve the outcomes that they need? Well, I think like a lot of things in our world right now, it's a, it's in a very transformational state. Um, <laughs> What I'm noticing is, you know, one, because I think organizations are understanding that, you know, change is coming faster and faster, technology, um, novelty is speeding up, you know, like it, it's, there is a pace that <clears throat> our traditional ways of um, transforming organizations to keep pace or adjust to a new strategy is insufficient. Mm. Um, it's insufficient in ways of, you know, how you design for your focus um, through like, you know, reorgs, for example, um, or even how you um, target KPIs. Um, I think one big dimension um, is that the human-centered um, or human potential um, mindset is 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 much more active. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we, we're still shaking off some of the industrial um, era's mindset of people as part of machines, um, and now are in a place where, if, certainly for skilled labor. Um, but I would argue for unskilled labor as well, understanding and becoming skillful at transforming those people in alignment with their values and alignment with the culture of the company and alignment with the you know, mission of, of the organization, you know, is an imperative, like it's a differentiator. I, I think that that case has been made now. <clears throat> um, also, a lot of organizations are adjusting their strategic focus because they're dealing with this same rising sense within society, the backlash against the first waves of globalization um, is very evident. Um, <clears throat> and so having an organization that's pointed in a direction that could contribute positively and be constructive 
um, and aligned with, you know, the sorts of values that are emerging and the needs that are emerging, like this is a, it's a different game. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, if you look to some of the bigger um, consulting organizations like Accenture, you see this all over the, all over their websites. You see this all over the services that they're, um, that are emerging um, and even their strategic focus um, being aligned with sustainability, being aligned with social justice and the, you know, recognition that the diversity of the human um, uh, society is, you know, is what we need to solve this kind of complexity. So in that whole matrix, I think that organizations are reaching and clawing and grabbing at any kind of remedy, any kind of solution that could help them adapt. Um, And ideally one that's not just like, we're gonna adapt and change begrudgingly, and this is a, a slog, but like that's somehow uplifting. And I think that learning is that. Um, learning has been it, and is our maybe one of our most well-trodden and longest standing crafts to adapt to the world around us. And so it makes sense to me that we spend our energy on becoming way more skillful and understanding how that works. It's exciting right now, like talk about integration, like the amount that neuroscience is um, contributing to our understanding of like, this is just like almost just a learning apparatus, a learning apparatus and an apparatus that expresses and contributes to what's created in the world. So they're, you know, increasing understanding of like, wow, how does this thing work? How do the senses work? How does our mind work, you know, in this like continuous gathering of information and bringing it inside and, you know, somehow in that, you know, unique design that's me or that's you, like what excites us? And if something excites us, we're much more excited to learn. So that's why we come back to learner-centered design is, you know, we recognize that there's this, there's this potentiality in all living things that's emerging continuously. And if you can aid and assist that and support it in the context that it's in, that you get, you know, you, you might have a shot at addressing that rapid change in a way mm-hmm. that's supportive and uplifting. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Absolutely. And, and, and what do you see as some of the biggest obstacles or challenges to transformational change for organizations? I, I mean, I think you've alluded to one of those things already, which is just this um, incessant speed of 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 change um you know external factors that are continuously sort of influencing and informing how how those environments operate but what are some of the other obstacles that you interpret you know with the organizations that you work with and and the programs that you design and implement um and, and how do you how do you overcome some of those things or how do you prepare um to tackle some of those things in in the delivery of a program yeah, <clears throat> and I, I will say at this state, I feel like we have not learning in general, and even uh, Sweet Rush specifically. I don't feel like we are in our fullest form as an organizational transformation force. I think we're exploring that. Mm-hmm. So the ways that we get to explore that is primarily with um, client partners who have organizations that are human centered, 
um, mm -hmm. that, that do already realize how important it is to develop people um, and support people through learning. There are people whose organizations have you know, already started waking up to the the promise of this craft and they could do some stuff that's different from others. So they're willing to take some of their approaches or bring um, problems that are traditionally not learning problems to learning people. Um, and, and so we're getting to explore things like, um, you know, an organization, uh, uh, you know, really high-tech uh, manufacturing organization who has traditionally been focused on you know, the, the uh, art and science of capturing light and producing images, mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> you know, recognizing that that devotion um, to that craft has given them certain insights, both in terms of how good highly technical manufacturing is done safely, um, how um, to service very, very intricate and expensive equipment, um, how to develop um, um, really complex um, images in highly complex environments. Um, you know, so they have all of these assets um, that have been traditionally explored through manufacturing products. Mm -hmm. And now looking at the amount of learning that needs to happen in the world around them, everything from manufacturing safety to how do you deal with um, complex image um, capture? Um, and can they turn that expertise into a new way to interface with the world and become an educational organization as well? Um, so that is, you know, fundamental, that's, trans that's transforming a fundamental expression of a global business. Um, and, you know, so that's one kind of area that I think is really interesting. Yeah. Um, we, we've seen other forms of that in other industries where people, and I think this is not just um, limited to education. I think it's any form of processing intellectual property into a um, digestible form for other people in that industry. You know, so industry leaders taking that expertise and kind of, you know, lifting up the entire industry with it. <clears throat> um, I think also with the recognition of, you know, working with people and learning helps people move along faster. Um, we see everything from new approaches to onboarding um, folks being primarily handled through the lens of learning. Like traditionally we've always had a role in onboarding Mm -hmm. um, but learning experiences being the driving or dominant theme that carries them through all the different logistical activities that they need to need to do. Mm -hmm. It used to be we were a checkpoint on the list. Now we are the list, you know. Yeah. And so and, and getting a chance to get at those people right from the beginning and treat them in this very special way that you can when you're teaching someone, when you're mentoring someone, when you're helping people understand the context around them and how to show up in that. Um, we see that as also being connected to recruiting, that there's this flow through and this discussion about how people move into an organization because you're starting to look at, now maybe I have more control and tools to recruit with and attract maybe unconventional um, talent. So we've seen one client partner that we're particularly proud of um, Hilton is um, 
a group that has a longstanding commitment to identifying populations um, in, in our world that, um, you know, just, they just need a shot. They need an entryway, you know, whether that's Afghan refugees um, resettling um, or whether it's um, at-risk mothers, um, they recognize their business has the ability to move people into entry, you know, gateway kind of jobs that they know historically once folks come into Hilton and they're treated and surrounded and supported in the way that they have um, come to do that, that they can see those people move into all different forms of the organization. So um, I think that a lot of that requires a highly, you know, learner-centric design approach to be able to say, okay, I see the unique challenges in this population, the unique supports in this population, and yes, we can provide them the learning experiences to move them into the professional world. Yeah. Um, so those sorts of things, you know, one could argue that there's a, a traditional aspect of that, that learning has always been a part of, but I think the difference is going from being, you know, an afterthought to being part of the architects um, who are shaping how that happens and how it can happen more effectively. Um, I think the other piece, and there's a lot of um, a great AI energy in terms of reskilling, it's all still getting fine-tuned, I think, in terms of our <clears throat> um, companies like Skyhive, who, who I, I really have a lot of respect for. Um, and, and have a connection and admire those guys. Um, you know, they're, they're taking AI and really helping organizations and governments understand, you know, the overall topography of, you know, the skill profile, not just for a position, but where it sits regionally and, you know, starting to plan for how an organization opens up a new office next to a place where there's a lot of that skill or, um, but also looking on the other end and saying, okay, these are the skills that are emerging and AI helps us see that more clearly. That gives us more time to prepare for that kind of, um, that transformation in skill sets, which have been like really central to the heart of a lot of our problems in terms of globalization, where we, you know, where we needed a change, whether that's a location of, of um, work or a skill set change. And traditionally, organizations have just cut people loose. And I think the, the recognition is that that's, an, that's a burden on our overall society when you have a system that's continuously casting people downward um, into potential poverty. Um, and instead, how do you start to develop skill passports and um, curriculum that can help people move from one, you know, not just inside an organization, but worldwide into different skill sets that are, you know, gonna, going to be relevant for them, especially in two years from now when, you know, that practice is phased out. And, you know, so I think that those sorts of things, learning has such a critical role in it's, you know, the folks at Sky High will call us the last mile. Like you can understand all this stuff, but at the end of the day, if you can't move people through learning experiences to help them land that new place, well, you know, you, you just have awareness. You don't have yeah. any solution. 
Um, <clears throat> the last thing I'd say is um, within the learning and development community in general, I think most forward-thinking leaders are noticing this. A fair amount of us are trying our hand at it, um, but there's something interesting in the shift of mindset from being called on to produce a product or service and being, you know, in a mode of asserting what, what your craft and what your talents can do. So whenever I talk to L&D leaders, I always say, you know, this is a moment for boldness, uh, at least in curiosity. How are these problems traditionally solved and how would you solve them with the craft that you know? And I think that there are new expressions in our craft because of that mm -hmm. um, questioning will inevitably be there. But I think that's something that to me it, it occupies me pretty regularly. You know, how, how do we show up and not just kind of like fit into the formula that's already there, mm -hmm. but how do we show up and say, this is how we would approach it. Um, can you let us at the problems a little sooner? Mm -hmm. um, we'd love to take a crack at it <laughs> yeah. absolutely. absolutely i love that and and i think the element of curiosity is where that all begins right is is yeah. just asking those questions it's it's curiosity about the the embedded systems that might need to be challenged uh it's curiosity yeah. about how we approach um those those opportunities or those obstacles it's curiosity about how that craft can integrate with other things and i i love yeah. that uh, example that you shared um, around one of your clients where that true organizational integration is is in action you know it's connecting talent management and recruitment into onboarding and induction into corporate social responsibility into overall strategy and that that roadmap um, is so empowering when you can see all of those things connect um, and, and I agree with you I, I think um, practitioners professionals in our space have such a crucial role to play not just in um, supporting with that expertise in the craft but in understanding how and where it can effectively integrate mm -hmm. for, for truly transformative outcomes yeah, yeah. fantastic um I'm, I'm interested to ask you about um i suppose sort of current current factors and how they might influence learning and development. I mean, we've explored a little bit about technology and, and some of those other things. Certainly what we're seeing is that in less secure economies, um, learning and development initiatives can often be parked or scaled back. And it's it's quite yeah. often the, yeah. the first thing that hits the chopping block, you know, when you're looking at, at sort of tightening, tightening your costs and expenses. What advice would you have for learning and development professionals that uh, you know might be looking to influence some of that investment decision making um, or or continue initiatives that have started um, you know through to through to that conclusion when there are some of those um, concerns or considerations around economic factors sort of driving some of that business thinking? Yeah, I think um, le learn from the folks who have. Um, establish themselves as um, critical components in opportunity creation. Mm -hmm. So when we look at um, what budgets typically survive um, budget cuts and training, it's, you know, they're typically aligned to opportunity creation um, 
skill sets, you know, sales, um, you know, is a classic example where, you know, if you look um, proportionately at budget sales uh, training budgets are typically um, much more um, abundant leadership yeah. development. Um, these are areas where I think it's very like the, the case is already proven. I think it's up for L, up to L and D um, practitioners, both in uh, organizations as well as um, vendors who serve those organizations, to continue to make the case um, mm -hmm. to change that perspective. Because uh, I think when you when leaders put their minds on, um, you know, any problem, ultimately, unless it's just a purely technical technology related problem that can be solved through some new system or, or hardware, you know, it's fundamentally a human um, ch related challenge. Mm. So to my mind, um, you know, there's an argument there for doubling down as long as it's effective. And I think this has been, this is one of the challenges in our space. We've had, especially in the wave of integrating technology, we've had lots of movements within the industry that have been, you know, you know, the, uh, popular at the time, but ult ultimately ineffective. Um, I think also there's been a lot of waste in, um, in the way that our um, curriculum and courses are deployed, you know, historically the argument and the complaint that we heard from clients around their LMSs or authoring tools have been connected to, you know, being locked in to those tools and not being able to have that data connectivity as well as like really being able to like have the practices that sit with that, uh, with the data that comes from that technology and then make better decisions. Um, and part of it is like, you know, in, in a scarcity mindset where our budgets are cut before other budgets, you know, like it, it's not easy for our corporate partners to be, you know, like facing all the data. Mm -hmm. But like any really effective craft, you have to be able to you know, you know, invest yourself in what that data means so that you can continue to perfect that solution. Um, you know, some of our work, uh, especially through our um, staff augmentation practices, has been going in and, and supporting organizations to really understand their LMSs, um, maybe select better LMSs, but also the practices of like taking that data and then reinforming curriculum development. So I think that that cycle, that, that sort of practice that some of the consultative um, disciplines or crafts have been very good at being able to really consume that data and make good decisions based on good design decisions and intervention decisions based on that data. That's a practice that we still have to embrace. So we got to get into those numbers and um, we have to under, you know, take everything that we understand about human beings and start to design solutions that will put them into a better position sooner. Um, you know, coming from a passive kind of tactical craft where we get asked at the end of, uh, you know, a whole strategic planning cycle to go and do this thing. That's a different mindset than showing up and insisting that you're in the room so that you can be part of shaping that solution. Yeah. Um, so I think, and, and with that shift requires that shift in awareness that comes with better data and mm -hmm. comes with the right conversations with other disciplines 
and that takes a lot of gumption to go from that to that. And, yeah. and I think we're fortunate that our industry, I think, is responding to this. Um, I remember, though, like maybe 2004, I went to an ATD uh, conference in San Francisco and the then president, Tony, I can't remember his last name, um, stood up and said, you know, the most important thing for us to do is to shift from the tactical to the strategic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that has definitely resonated with me throughout my career is that that shift in mindset um, is pivotal to our craft seeing its full expression. Um, and, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll say we have to do that amidst um, what a lot of us vendors would say under-resourced projects with not long enough timeline to do good work. Um, so we somehow, you know, when we look at our counterparts who are doing similar things with technology and multimedia in advertising agencies, we see they've already made their case. They're making, you know, they, you know, they, they have pricing models that are very different from ours. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, finding our way to, you know, prove and assert greater value so that we can command greater resources to do bigger things. Like that's always been part of the complexity of being in this gig and this craft emerging in the way that it is. I know you guys, you know, from talking to Dan, you know, this is a, this is a, another industry uh, folks. This is, you know, this is part of our journey. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. No, great, great points. Um, I want to come back to, to something you mentioned there um, actually uh, around leadership, because we talked a little bit about that offline uh, and, and, and how important leaders are in navigating and, and supporting transformation and change. I'm curious to, to get your thoughts on where you see leadership going in terms of the skills that are important for leaders in, in the here and now, but also what are some of those things that are considerations for future-focused leadership, certainly within that context of um, perpetual change and yeah. and pace? Um, you know, what, yeah. what are some of those things that you think are, are important for leaders to start to think about developing um, for themselves yeah. now? I think fundamentally the, you know, the, the crossroads that we're at, I mean, and I think we, humanity has faced this a lot of times and it definitely shows up in, in our work, you know, as a leader, what, what it means to be a leader is that, that you are a, you know, a strong man or woman and you kind of like, you know, whether you're right or not, you, you know, everybody treats you as right and everybody just kind of gets with the program, you know, and um, or are you what I like to say servant leader, you know, are you someone who, you know, serves an organization and its people and is continuously looking for ways to, yeah, you might have leading visions and stuff, but you might also be coaching those out of them yeah. and you might be empowering them in where they're at. So you, you in a support or servant role, I think that that leader, um, you know, is not only just, you know, a choice, but I think it's getting refined. And a lot of the leadership curriculum that we're getting tapped to do is really integrating a lot of the kind of um, mindsets and soft skills and um, worldviews that, you know, would support someone really showing up in that way, you know, whether it's empathy training or, 
you know, really helping people's, um, you know, worldview evolve around diversity, um, you know, like um, starting to really learn about how people learn and behave and, mm. you know, um, you know, I mean, nudge theory and, you know, like, it's like the list is, is pretty long of the stuff that's emerged over the last handful of years where that attention, and I, and I think pandemic sped it up I think I, I spoke with one executive coach who said, you know, I feel like the conversation has changed. And she was speaking specifically about, um, white men, um, that, you know, a lot of the previous view of what it was to be a good leader was someone who showed up and kind of was a hard charger. And, you know, not saying that that's a bad thing. I'm just saying, like, there was one kind of mode. And a lot of those guys ended up showing up going in the pandemic, like, how, how do I lead through this? Like, well, for sure, empathy is involved, like, because everybody's suffering at some new level everybody's more scared than they've ever been you know like i mean all this stuff is and now i'm remote so how do i you know it, yeah i could show up and say well friggin log on to the zoom thing that's what it is like get over it you know or or you can be like okay there's a lot of difference in how we connect right now yeah and there are insufficiencies and advantages so how do i support people in navigating that how do I, you know, take that fear and worry and, you know, not deny that it's there, but use that energy to, to transform and change and empower in new ways. Mm -hmm. That is a, that is a server, you know, servant leader mindset. That is a supportive, nurturing, caring mindset. And I don't think it's any surprise to find that uh, uh, a lot of organizations who have uh, fared well through that have had leaders that really show up in that way or yeah. already were showing up in that way or who changed leadership to match that need. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I do see trends in that direction. I mm -hmm. mean, you know, I, I see it also in society. It's a big question. Like, which way are we going to go? Are we going to get real with all the care that's needed here to support people to be take on the challenges that we have? Are we going to pretend all those things don't exist because someone shows up and, you know, you know, says a bunch of harsh stuff and is rude you know, like, and no one wants to complain, you know, like, so it's, you know, I, I think that it's, it's a pretty universal, um, you know, fork in the road. And I personally, I make my choice for the servant leader. I, I, I always have, um, you know, I, I even recently through, you know, changes in our own organization, I'm continuously reflecting and asking, like, am I showing up in that way? Yeah. Where am I hanging on to an old practice or an old relationship that, you know, limits my ability to do that? Yeah. You know, yeah. what is my what does my organization need now from leaders, including myself and others um, that, you know, that we're not giving them? Um, because yeah. we care about them, because we care about our craft, we care about our mission. Like, you know, we 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 want to persist. We want to be vital. We want to connect. We want to, you know, serve and help uh, with this beautiful craft that we have. Um, and you know, it's it's a challenging world to to hold a, any community together. Um, you know, let alone one in an industry that's in transition and emerging, and you know. Colliding with all kinds of different technology. <laughs> like, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, great stuff, Andre. Um, 
look, I think you've, you've hit some some fascinating points there um, around leadership, and I, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, I think that that whole approach around servant leadership is is critical. Um, and and yes, the pandemic sort of accelerated some of those yeah. um, those ideas for those that probably weren't practicing in that way. Um, but I think organisations that do embrace um, and encourage that that style of leadership are the ones that are, are, are able to navigate you know the the complexities of now and, and are probably more future fit in in terms of how they're facing upcoming challenges too um we could talk all day um and, and i would love to okay. uh, but, but we, we we don't have the time for that unfortunately so we may, we may have to to bank a few things for um for part two yep. of this podcast but That's there is good. one more question um that i do want to ask you before we wrap up and i like to ask all of our guests this is what, what are the things that are inspiring you at the moment um, what are some of the the things that you're um, sort of seeing, hearing, researching, or exploring um, that are, are really sort of driving your your energy and your ideas, um, or supporting some of the things that you're already doing? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it I've spoken to already. I, I mean, I'm really interested in you know, using all we've learned on this kind of journey to become more valuable um, to organizations and, um, you know, exploring that in as a form of deepening relationships with client partners, because I think ultimately uh, um, it are the depth of our, our relationship and awareness of the organization that we're serving as well as the depth um, of relationship and um, consideration and appreciation for the specific individuals, the learners that we are, you know, charged to transform. Um, the, those all rely on relationship mm -hmm. and awareness. And that kind of like, I, I almost imagine it as like a double helix that's connecting us to that other organization. And historically vendors have been like, you know, like it's all about intake of what that is. I think the relationships that are needed are really a shared kind of awareness and um, relationship. And, and I think that we have been blessed to have client partners who know this, whether they came from the vendor space or they just really know how to use vendors. Um, and, but I think that there's just a lot more magic to explore there. And so that's one of the things that I'm really interested in. Um, I'm very interested in, um, you know, some of the hard sciences participation in understanding, um, how people learn. So neuroscience, um, mm -hmm. I don't think that that's been, completely integrated, I would imagine in, you know, the next handful of years, they would be on staff in organizations like us, um, at, at least as consultants to helping us keep pace with um, what's being discovered and make better uh, learning designs. Um, at, similarly, in the world of physics, I think physics has really been active in exploring consciousness, which I think is highly connected to learning. So consciousness studies have gotten a great surge, uh, surge through the scientific community, um, and that has implications on learning. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm very curious about those. I, I would say organizationally, we might not be as fascinated as I am with it, 
but I think that, um, you know, I'm very curious about those new um, crafts and disciplines and sciences and arts that we can continue to kind of add to our repertoire and integrate um, to make ourselves more effective. Um, and of course, the the technologies I listed, I mean, they, yeah. they are really exciting. I mean, AI, I, I almost don't want to say anything about it because it's just like everybody's saying the same thing, which is like, whoa, <laughs> wow. You know, it's just like, we're all having this kind of, and, and we're tinkering and stuff like that. So I think that's exciting to see what our craftspeople can do with this next level of intelligence, extended intelligence um, that helps us divine insights from what we already know in larger patterns, um, as well as like, you know, uh, 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 one of my, uh, one of my friends in the industry uh, said like, if they had a thousand sweet rushes, the, there wouldn't be enough um, learning design and development people to face the task. And yeah. so part of our big task is to spread our craft, mm. to make it as accessible to everyone as possible, to get people fired up about it, and to use every form of technology that we can to extend ourselves out to support what's going on. Um, so that's probably the, you know, the holy grail yeah. <laughs> you know, like can we meet that challenge and can we have fun doing it <laughs> absolutely that's what yeah. it's all about well that that feels like a perfect place to wrap things up um sure, and, sure. um i just want to say a, a huge thank you andre for all of the ideas insights and experiences you've shared i i know that our listeners will will get huge value um from from awesome. some of this content so um a big a big thanks for for contributing to to it and um and for your time yeah, and thanks uh, for the, yeah, I, thanks I, I for the invitation <laughs> yeah thanks for the invitation and i would say like i mean one of my favorite things is to be in conversation with other people yeah, who, who yeah. care about this and so i i invite any of that um i think it's an excited time to be uh, doing what we're doing and yeah, um, you know we 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 got to keep each other fired up and curious and, and finding new service yeah absolutely that sounds like the perfect supple invitation for for round two of a, of a podcast sure. in future sure. so um i will yeah. certainly i will certainly uh, encourage us to do that um thanks again Excellent. andre um you've been listening to learning to fly the inspire group podcast uh, i'm aiden stoats we'll be back with another episode for you to enjoy very soon Bye for now. Learning to Fly is produced by the Inspire Group team. You can find us online at inspiregroup.net. And don't forget to rate, review and subscribe on your podcast app.